1: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Here in the 7th inning, the Yankees are trailing 2-0. That is the key man. Hit high in the air to left field. Going to the corner, Yospinski. It's over the wall. It's a home run for Bucky Dent. Yankees get to the lead 3-2. Deep to left, Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run! A three-run home run for Bucky Dent. The Yankees now lead by a score of three to two. Well, the last guy on the ball club you'd expect to hit a home run just hit one into the screen. Bucky Dent. Hello, hello, and welcome to the second episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. With me right now on the phone, we have our star, Bucky Dent. How you doing, Bucky? I'm doing great, man. This
2: uh, song should be the Twilight Zone of what's going on. I mean, we just left over uh, from Tampa yesterday, and oh my God, just things are happening so quick.
1: It's crazy. We also have joining us our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. Hello, everyone. You know, Bucky, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head here. We are, we are in uncharted waters right now. Have you ever seen anything like this?
2: No, it's it's a difficult time, you know. And uh, you know, we were over there. We went over for a, a couple shows on Monday and Tuesday, a rivalry show, and did an event at uh, Yankee Stadium. And everything seemed normal, you know, big crowd, you know, and people were excited, uh, a little cautious. But then uh, we were we were actually going to do an event tonight. But yesterday, everything just went so quick, and they canceled everything.
1: You know, I, I have a friend who made the illusion. This just feels like, you know, the entire world right now is the all star break, except there's like no, not even an ESPYs or anything like that. It's just, you know, we're about to approach months and months, I think. I'm, I fear of uncertainty and everything like that. And look, you know, baseball says two weeks right now. I hope that's true. I hope, I hope, I hope everything is so normal by that point that, you know, yeah, we're playing baseball then. But man, in the meantime, like, you know, as we're all thinking about our kids' schools and whether we can go out to dinner or anything like that, it's, it's unbelievable.
2: Yeah, it's, it's like a, a spooky time. I mean, you know, I, I've been a part of, you know, shutdowns and strikes and things like that, but this is totally different and uh, it's like a dream.
3: I agree. You know, and I know you and I spoke a little bit yesterday and we were talking about, you know, trying to compare different situations that you may have gone through, you know, in your career, whether it's just, you know, a work stoppage because of a strike, you know, the post 9 11 period, which, you know, obviously like this, and not that I'm trying to compare, you know, this to that, but at least in the, in the one sense, issues like those two are obviously a lot bigger than baseball. But for the purposes of obviously what, what we're talking about, which is baseball, so the next game that Yankees players actually compete in, uh, and it, you know it's only the beginning of you know March now, the next game they're going to compete in is going to be one that actually counts. It's going to be opening day. There's not going to be any spring training competition between now and then. How do you feel like players kind of are going to have to adapt to that and get themselves physically and mentally ready for not playing a a competitive game from now until it could be again like John said three weeks four weeks five weeks even more and then the next time they play they're playing a, a real game that matters
2: Well, you know, I've experienced that, you know, in 1981, we started the season and all of a sudden in June 11th, we went on strike and we really didn't come back until August. So, you know, and when we came back, they didn't give us much time to get ready. I mean, uh, so the big question is when they do come back, how much time are they going to get them, you know, give them to get ready? I I think they only gave us like seven or 10 days to, to get ready to to open back up on August the 10th. And actually, myself and God, Gossage and Guidry, you know, we and Reggie Jackson, we all were in the All-Star game. And that was the first game we played Uh was on August 9th. That was the first game. It was like the opening of the second part of the season. So they can do it. I mean, it, it,
1: we, we've done it. I think this is going to be the real test case to see if spring training is too long. From your perspective, you know, back looking at your days with the coaches, What is the difference for the pitchers? You know, obviously, it's not like they're not going to be throwing during this interim. But what is the difference between getting yourself game ready through pitching in games as opposed to getting yourself game ready through, you know, just your side work and things like that?
2: Well, you know, for me, uh, it was just, you know, making sure I got my reps, taking ground balls, doing the things that I wanted to do, make sure I strengthened my arm, my legs, you know, get your body and, and your mind mentally ready to play. You know, pitchers, it's a lot different. You know, they got to build up arm strength. And the way they do that is they, they pitch into the games, you know, they can throw bullpens on the side, but they still have to face, you know, live batter. So uh, it's a little bit different for them. But uh, like I said, you know, we, we did it a couple times you know where they didn't give us a whole lot of time to get ready and and, and we got ourselves ready it's just you know they they'll be more careful with the pitchers when they're coming back
1: you've been in these rooms obviously under different circumstances this no no one's seen anything like this but you know what what do you think the conversations are right now what is the level of fear what is the level of frustration
2: well right now there's a lot of frustration simply because you know they've gone halfway through spring, almost three quarters. So, you know, they were getting ready to leave next week, you know, to go play a couple of more exhibition games and then, then start the season. And right now, the big thing is, what do we do? Do we stay here? Do we keep practicing? How long is this going to be? That's the questions. And those are the things that they're probably talking about. And we all went through it when they, we sh- had to go out on strike, you know, it was like, okay, how long are we going to be out? Nobody knew. So you just, you know, you just go day by day.
3: You know, you talked about being at, you know, George M. Steinbrenner Field over the last couple of days. And, you know, I, I think about how how crazy this situation is. And, and one indication is I was there within the last two weeks. And, you know, obviously the coronavirus was a, a, a topic at that point two weeks ago, but it was such a... You know, less important topic than it has been over the last 48 hours. Obviously, the, the situation has changed so drastically. How would you talk about like just the atmosphere conversations you had with people, you know, while you were at the ballparks, you know, obviously a lot more recently than I was like, what, what's the atmosphere like there?
2: Well, the event that I did uh, on on Tuesday at Yankee Stadium, you know, there was a lot of caution, but still it was, you know, baseball, sunshine, you know, they're going to the game, you know, it was popcorn, hot dogs, everything, you know, they, they tried to take their mind of it because the game was going to start, but then, uh, you know, it rapidly changed over the last couple of days and, you know, it became more of a, a fear type thing, you know, as far as this, you know, this virus, you know, started to spread. So it became more of a, a major concern. You know, you read where, you know, they started uh, banning people from the locker rooms, you know, the press and trying to keep as many people away from the players as possible. So it, it started to intensify a little bit more in the last couple of days.
1: I'm just curious even just the difference between, say, Tampa and the east side of the state where you are. What kind of difference are you seeing just in that?
2: Basically the same. Well, everybody's concerned. You know, I mean, we went shopping today. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things gone. Everybody's concerned. It's an unknown. So you try to protect yourself and you try to do the best possible thing that you can and, and kind of stay out of crowd. So that's that's the same concern
1: as the other side. You've mentioned a lot about the, the strike years and things like that. Obviously, I think almost an easier comp is 2001. You were coaching in Texas at the time and you had to watch as the game shut down for a similar national emergency in this way, not just a baseball emergency, but a national emergency. How were those two things different in your mind, the strike situation versus the, you know, just complete sense of terror taking over the world as you saw in 2001?
2: Well, I remember, you know, I was with Texas and we were playing, uh, We were actually in San Francisco. We were getting ready to go play Oakland. And, uh, one of our head coaches called me in the morning and says, you see what's going on? I went, no. And he says, well, turn the TV on. And then we all, you know, saw the terror, you know, the world trade building, you know, plane going into it. And from that time on, we were getting ready to play, but then they, they said, nope. We're, we're going to bus back to Texas until we figure out what's going on, until the whole world could figure out what was going on. So it was, it was a scary time because, you know, we weren't allowed to fly back. So we were getting, getting on buses, getting ready to drive 32 hours back to Texas. And, you know, it was, it was really uh, a, a tricky time. So did, did you actually go through with that bus trip? Yeah, we actually started our bus trip and I think we went to some place in California and they wound up flying a jet in. They let a jet come in, a private plane, uh, to, to fly us back to Texas. It, we had to go through all kind of security, you know, to get on the plane. I mean, it was it was times where you were concerned, you know, of what was gonna happen.
1: Man, so that that's I never heard that story. I imagine a lot of teams were going through similar things at that time on that bus, even for the short term on the plane. You know, what were the things you were hearing from, you know, these guys from all over the world as as you were all experiencing that together?
2: it was just a shock. I mean, it was a shock that something like that could happen in the United States. And, you know, guys were concerned, you know, concerned for their families. Uh, you know, we were all concerned, you know, even even when we were bussing back and they took us to the airport, you know, it was like, oh, wow, you know, should we even be getting on this plane? So there was a lot of energy being spent and a lot of, you know, a lot of concern on on everybody that was part of the staff and and, and the team.
3: You know, I think in in a situation like that obviously and in a situation like the one that, you know, the the nation and the world is dealing with now and obviously this is such a global issue. Baseball really and, and sports clearly have to kind of take a back seat to getting things right so that, you know, there's no more lives that are lost and, you know, people's, you know, way of lives way of life can come back to, you know, to some sense of normalcy. But obviously the health issues and the and the loss of of life already is is what's, you know, most important right now. As a person who's You know, job it was for a long time to play baseball, to coach baseball, to manage a baseball team. How do you kind of, in this period of time, concentrate on keeping your mind on what you need to do to be ready to play when you come back, as
2: opposed to focusing on, you know, what is obviously so much of a, of a bigger issue throughout the world? Well, it is a big issue, you know, and we've never seen anything like this. And uh, it's, it's an un- unknown to everybody. But as far as you're, you know, focusing on playing, you know, right now, you know, you, like I said earlier, you gear up, all you know, you go to spring training, you're there for two weeks, it's in your mind, you know, what do you do going out, you know, you got to protect yourself. And then all of a sudden, it happens, and it shuts down. And now it becomes, Okay, you know, is my family safe? You know, I mean, you worry about that all the time, you know, uh, you know, where they're coming and going, you know, now it's like, okay, uh, you shut your mind off a little bit from baseball because everything has shut down in the uncertainty of when we're going to start back up. I think that's the biggest thing now that, you know, that players are are talking about and worrying about. Okay, now we shut down. What's the date that we're planning on starting back? And what are we going to do from here? Are we going to keep practicing? Are we going to go home with our families? Or are our families going to be here with us? You know, it's it's those kind of questions that they're trying to figure out.
1: You were teammates, obviously, with Thurman, you know, for a little bit there, and and even though it's not the same thing at all, my brain game kind of going back to just the idea of in the face of this crazy situation going on right now, you have those guys in the clubhouse who a lot of them are away from their families right now. A lot of them are scared. A lot of them don't know what's going on. They only have each other to, to lean on. How important is the bond of the clubhouse in Less ordinary times, because obviously, so much about baseball is trying to make things routine, make things ordinary. You know, when the world interferes, how much do these guys need to lean on each other?
2: Well, they do. I mean, it's a family. You know, those guys you're with, you know, for eight nine months out of the year. So each guy is probably going through their own mind, and and they have their own problems. You know, and they're they're concerned, and 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 that's what teammates are for. You know, to help. Guide you through it. And I mean, you're all in this together now. So each player has the same concern because it's the same. It affects you all. And, uh, you know, so I'm sure there's, you know, there's a lot of guys that are talking back and forth, you know, really good teammates, you know, guys that play together for a long time. Uh, that bond becomes even stronger when you start going through uh, things like this.
3: I got a question along those lines. Obviously, I, I you know I know it's a family environment. It's a family, and, and you guys really support each other. In any family, you have relatives you're closer to than others.
2: Yes, <laughs> um, you do <laughs> for sure.
3: Uh, no, no family is I think immune from that. But just you know, I, I looking back at when you know you were you know with the
2: Yankees as a player and, and all those great years.
3: Who were the guys you were closest to? Who were your closest friends? And what were those relationships like?
2: Well, you know, the guys that, you're close to everybody, but I came up with Gossage. You know, we we started together in 1970. You know, we were we were roommates, and uh, you know, we came through you know the White Sox system, and you know, uh, so and I and I played against Mickey Rivers in in high school, so we went back a long ways. But you know, there are guys that you you, you become closer to. You know that uh, you know you kind of you know stick together, you ride together, you live in the same area as far as you know. A lot of us lived up in Northern Bergen County, so you know you do get closer to certain guys. But overall, the whole team is a family, and when you go through something like this, or you go through a tragedy like we went through with Thurman Munson, it, it becomes a stronger bond. Uh, you, uh, you know, you're with these guys, like I said, for so many days out of the year that they're a big time family.
1: You know, you, you bring up a point. I, I, I got to turn the page here for a second because you know we got some fun feedback uh, after our first episode, but I think one of my favorite is from a cousin of mine, actually. Who grew up speaking of family exactly grew up in Wyckoff, New Jersey? Where I should mention also our photo editor Ariel Goldman Hecht currently lives. But his and I want to add one more our team photographer Jim Petrozello used to play football.
3: With Mr. Bucky Dent uh, in his backyard, curly <laughs> hair kid I think you used to make fun of. <laughs> so anyhow- I play
2: with a lot of kids back then. <laughs> you know, the whole neighborhood would come over and, uh, you know, because I, I had young kids in and, and we had a big tree house in the backyard. So everybody came over to the Dent house.
1: So, you know, among, uh, while well, I was grateful for anyone who would listen, including my cousins, you know, when I got an incredulous email, how could you not ask him the Wyckoff story I had to admit, I did not know the Wyckoff story, and then I researched it. You know, Bucky, that, that house you lived in in Wyckoff, that wasn't just any house. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know this, how about you tell that story for us? Uh, that, uh, my house? I mean, uh, you know, when
2: I got traded over... Uh from chicago actually i lived in uh, ridgewood my first year and then i wound up you know buying the house that you're talking about but i mean you know the the backyard was all fenced in and like i said we had a big tree house and all the kids used to come over and and play in the front yards and and it was funny back then because they come knock on the door and i go to the door and they would like just stare at me like oh you know he's he's really here he, you know he he's in my presence and it was it was it was always fun you know to see the kids face when you open the door
1: and then of course the best part is you turned that from a house into Don Zimmer's personal torture chamber.
2: <laughs> That's it. I really did, you know, and uh, uh it was funny because when I got traded uh, in 82, uh I went to spring training and all of a sudden, you know, Don Zimmer calls and says, "Hey, Bucky, you know, I I'd like to, you know, rent your house." And I said, "Oh, wait a minute, Don." I said, you know, I just redid the whole inside of my house. White carpet, you know, new walls and everything. And, he, and I started laughing at him, you know, and I said, sure, you, you can rent it. But before I left, I took the picture of my home run. It said, socks dented. And I took it and, and I I put it behind every door, you know, to haunt him. So that every time he opened a door, you know, he would uh, he would see the picture. So a couple of weeks into the spring trainer during the season, I can't forget. I I called him and said, "Hey, how's it going?" You know, and he goes, "Oh, it's great." You know, we love the house and everything. He says, "But you know those pictures that you uh, left hanging on every door?" He says, "I turned some of them around backwards and I took some of them down." So we started laughing. But uh, his wife suit was a just a beautiful beautiful. Uh, lady and uh, they took great care of my house
1: and obviously we should point out don zimmer was the manager of that yes. 1978 red sox team that got <laughs> that, dented <laughs> that yes got he, dented exactly
2: <laughs> yes he was in a great baseball mind i mean love talking to him about baseball
1: So we're going to take just a break right here. You know, I hope you'll stick around and come back to listen to us. Obviously, this is episode two of the Deep to Left with Bucky Dent podcast. We still have so much exciting stuff planned for this coming year. We're going to have a lot of guests, and we were supposed to have a guest this week. But, you know, there's a global pandemic, so, you know, we adjust on the fly. But, you know, hope you'll, if you haven't already, subscribe, like, rate, review us. We'll be back in one minute with more, and stick around.
2: Hey, this is Giancarlo Stanton. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees.
1: Welcome back to Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. And that was obviously not the easiest conversation. And the fact of the matter is, and I and I hate to keep repeating myself here, you know, we don't have many answers right now. We're doing the best we can. I know that everybody wants to be able to say this is when baseball is going to be back. This is when things are going to be normal. If anyone could say that they would, they can't. With that said, you know, let, let, let's kind of go a little lighter here yeah you know i I, i'm fascinated to to
3: hear about the events that you were doing um i know there were some uh panel discussions with some of the real heroes yourself included uh from those 1977 and 1978 yankees teams as well as some of the star players and the most colorful characters as you told me from the red sox teams that you guys of course beat in 1978
2: who was there and what was uh what were those conversations like Oh, my God. The conversations were unbelievable to hear the stories back from, you know, 78. But the the guys that were there for the Yankees were me, Nettles, Gossage, and my homie Mickey Rivers. And for the Red Sox side, it was uh, Wade Boggs, uh, Louis Tiant, uh, Bill Lee, and Bernie Carbo. And, oh, Lord, the stories that were flying around. And, and actually some of the stories that, you know— that I, I really never knew about, but Bill Lee. Oh my God. What a character he is. He is one of the funniest guys I've, I've been around. And, uh, you know, and, and to just to hear stories of different times, you know, I play with Louis Tiant and, you know, he was talking about a story, you know, they were, they were going off on, you know, today's pitch count and, you know, they didn't have pitch counts back then. And he brought up the story about him and Nolan Ryan going 15 innings. Both pitching 15 innings, and him throwing like 175 pitches. And I, I was just fascinated and mesmerized by, by that because I don't think you'll ever see uh, two guys go 15 innings ever again. How many pitches do you throw in a 15-inning performance? I think he said like uh, 173 pitches. And in that game, uh, Nolan Ryan struck out like 19 guys, they said. I mean, I, I don't know for a fact, but that's what Louis was talking about. And I was just sitting there baffled, like, holy cow. You know what I mean? Uh, no pitch count. Guys going that deep in the game. I don't think you'll ever see that again.
3: No, I don't I don't think you'll see anything even remotely close to that. What's the, um, you know, I don't know if camaraderie is the right word. What, what's the, you know, the the conversations like between a guy like you or Goose Gossage and Bill Lee all these years later?
2: It's funny. It's hilarious. I mean, to hear Bill Lee tell stories, you know, and um, actually we went out to test the mics on the stage and I noticed that there was a little like a... Uh, a bubblegum card on, on the seat. And I said, what is that? And he goes, I've been carrying that picture of nettles in my wallet on my right hip for 40 years. And We all just busted up laughing, you know, and, and he goes, yep. He says, I've been carrying that for 40 years. He says I carry it right on my right hip next to my heart. <laughs> so, I mean, it, I mean, but Bill Lee, I mean, he, he had some great stories and you know, um, uh, you know about the fight, you know what took place, you know back then, the intensity of the rival of the Red Sox, you know, about Thurman and uh you know Carlton Fisk coming through the Cape Cod league, not not liking each other, and then you go through the minor leagues and you play against each other in the minor leagues, and then when you get to the big leagues, you play against each other and and of course, you know that competitive spirit is still there and you and you wind up not liking liking guys because of you know, what you've been through in the minor leagues and
1: what you've been through in playing
2: in college ball. So it was interesting hearing all those great stories.
1: So, you know, Bucky, I went to school at uh, the University of Michigan, but I'm from New Jersey. And I'll never forget, you know, I mean, in New Jersey, it's not a real college football, you know, Mecca or anything like that. And, you know, I enjoyed watching college football, but I wasn't necessarily, you know, a diehard. And then you know, you enroll in the University of Michigan, and you learn very quickly that now your blood enemy is Ohio State. And it's just like, okay, I guess I hate Ohio State, you know? That's it. And, that's it.
2: Yeah. And I'm wondering,
1: you know, you, you move over to the Yankees, all of a sudden, you know, is it just like, oh, wow, now I hate the Red Sox? Like, I, I just hate the Red Sox so much all of a sudden? Or does it develop over time?
2: No, when I got traded over in 77, I, you know, I'd heard all about the, uh, you know, the Red Sox and the intensity of the rival with the Yankees. And I'll never forget, you know, my first experience were playing in Boston and uh, I think it was a Monday night game. And uh, I think Freddie Lynn took off the steal and Munson threw a strike to second base and I dropped it. Tagging Lynn out. I dropped it and I kind of glanced over in the dugout and Billy Martin was pulling the bats out of a rack over there. <laughs> I, I was like, Oh my God. We got out of the inning and, uh, and I, I said, I am not going at the. Th- Down at that end of the dugout, I'm going to enter the dugout at the other end because there's no telling what he's going to say to me, you know. But you know, I I got in the dugout and he kind of looked at me, you know, and I I was like, oh boy, what's he going to say? But he didn't say anything, but I knew I knew the look, so I got the first uh, feeling of the intensity. But you know, when you play in it for the first time and you hear about it and you hear about the fights and things like that. You you feel that you know, especially when you go into Fenway or Yankee Stadium. So it, it was a incredible rivalry, and uh, and to hear those guys talk about it back then, it was it was
1: fascinating the famously mild-mannered Billy Martin, obviously.
2: Oh, yeah, really mild-mannered. <laughs> Easy-going easy dude. <laughs> yeah, and then here you know, hearing the, how the fight started, you know, I wasn't there in 76, and, you know, when the fight started, and, you know, uh, uh, Nettles uh, slammed Billy to the ground and, you know, broke his shoulder, and, and uh, you know, it was just, and then they had the video of it, you know, of Pinella coming around trying to score and running into fists, and I think that's how it started, and it was like, uh-oh, here we go. And then they, they started, burning. Carbo started getting on Mickey. He says, Yeah, Mickey. He says, You ran a dugout, but you're hitting everybody on the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> well you know for for
3: people who weren't around for that that's still one of the probably the best youtube videos of a baseball brawl that you'll, that you'll find what was what, what's nettles and bill lee like these days like when they were together How, do they laugh about it now or what's their conversations like
2: well uh, after the last two days we were walking out and actually bill lee had a bat and he says you know what we're gonna put this to rest you know and he, he had a baseball bat and he come over and he says i want you to sign this and he says I'm going to take it home and I'm going to stick it in the ground and bury it and it's going to be over with and I thought that was funny you know that's really but, cool uh, yeah it was really cool and uh but Bill Lee what a character I mean to hear him you know uh talk and and, and he's still pitching today he's 72 and he he says he's won like three 300 and something games you know and uh uh he, he just loves the game and I I really enjoy being around him
3: obviously so much has changed in in The rivalry,
2: probably since the Red
3: Sox, you know, won a couple championships. And we talked about this, I know, two weeks ago and, you know, how how things were probably a lot different how you were received when we were up at Fenway Park and how how they were different from what they would have been like had the Red Sox not won but for a guy like Garrett Cole who's a you know coming to the Yankees with such high expectations and, and so much surrounding him you know pretty soon you know hopefully once this current you know hiatus gets uh resolved and everything gets back to normal he's gonna pitch at Fenway Park what kind of advice would you have for him other than you know not dropping a ball at second base which I don't think he's gonna have to deal with <laughs> but short of that what, what kind of advice would you have for him in, in, in that first start at, at Fenway Park?
2: Look, you can pitch all you want. And, you know, he's a great, great pitcher. And I'm so glad the Yankees got him, you know, and he's going to be, you know, that one piece that we've been looking for, hopefully to get us all the way to the World Series. But it's a different animal. When you pitch in Fenway Park and and you uh, you get involved with the your first uh, taste of the Yankee Red Sox, but you know the thing about it is I I don't know if this is a, the same as it was back when we played as is intense like you said because they've won, but there's always that Red Sox Yankee rivalry, and you know the Yankees are haven't won a World Series in a while, and it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting for him. You know he's gonna hear all the stuff that uh, you probably haven't heard before.
1: <laughs> Probably not not uh, appropriate for the Yankees uh, podca- <laughs> podcast network, unfortunately. No, we you know, try to keep it clean on this, po- yeah, on this for, podcast. Yeah, for sure. As clean as possible. Not not like every other podcast. We, no. We're a little different. <laughs> well, you know, the, this is the age of washing your hands very closely, and we're going to wash our tongues for this podcast. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that I'm always fascinated with this stuff, you, you get together with all these guys. You know, a guy like Wade Boggs, for example, is he sitting there as a Yankee or a Red Sox? Both. He talked about both, you know. I mean, you know, he
2: talked about you know what happened to him with the Red Sox, you know, with Mrs. Yawkey, and in '91 when she, you know, at the end of the season, she called him over and said, "Hey, you know, I want you to be a Red Sox just like you know Ted Williams and all the other greats." And he said, "You know, she offered him a seven-year contract." Well, behold, you know, she fell in the bathtub, and from that time on, it changed. You know, when she passed away, and and then he talked about the Yankees, you know, offering him three-year deal and uh, uh coming over here and uh his time you know he spent with new york winning a world championship riding on the horse he talked about great moments so did you know so did louis tion louis tion was a little more bitter because he really didn't want to leave the red Sox, but he wound up coming over and playing with the yankees and actually he locked lockered next to me and i i just love him i think he's one of the neatest people you know he he won a lot of games he's he's a Great competitor, and you know, as far as Boggs, I mean, um, he talked about uh, the Yankees and the Red Sox. You know, his experience, and uh, uh, it, w- it was it was great stories to hear him
3: You talk about. You know, Boggs, I, I know you your career and his career overlapped, you know, somewhat and you you obviously played against him when he was with the Red Sox and uh you were with the Yankees, I believe. Rangers, I think. Rangers. I think I might have
2: got traded when we played. I might have played against him with the Yankees.
3: You know, I always talked about him as in my opinion, probably the best pure hitter. Of that generation. Obviously, Tony Gwynn, you could certainly make a case for and, and, a, and a strong case for, um, you know, who do you feel like in, in that great class of hitters of the 1980s with Cal Ripken and Gwynn and Boggs and Mattingly and Kirby Puckett, you know, how would you rank, you know, best pure hitter and
2: where where does Boggs rank in that group? Back in, when I came up in the seventies, I saw some great hitters, you know, Rod Carew, you know, Tony Oliva. I mean, uh, and, and then going into the next generation, of course, I played against, uh, George Brett in the minor leagues and, uh, you know, he blossomed in to be one of the best hitters in the game. So, you know, it's hard to just rank them. It, they're all great hitters, but you know, the thing about Boggs that's fascinating is that, you know, when we were at the show, we were sitting backstage and we got to talking, you know, uh, about, baseball and he loves to talk baseball he loves to talk hitting and we got to talking uh, about infield play you know I was telling him you know that I came up with the White Sox had one of the greatest infield instructors a guy named Moncheck, Al Moncheck, that taught me a lot about different things about playing angles and he got fascinated with it and we started talking about you know turning the double play you know where to set the ball up how to use your hands and you know he was just truly interested in you know what I was talking about because he's a high school coach now. And he says, I'm going to take that out and, and, and talk to my, uh, my players about it tomorrow, my infielders. But he's a great mind and, and he talks baseball all the time. And I really enjoy being around him. He's, he's fun to be around. There's no question about it, especially, uh, some of those trips I
3: know, you know, that he makes every year up to Cooperstown. He's usually in rare form up there. And I mean that in a kind way. He's a fun, fun person to be around. And, and I'll say the same thing, Bucky, one of the more interesting people. You could ever find with his superstitions and his obsession with fishing. Interesting guy for sure.
2: Absolutely. You know, and talking about superstitions, you know, he was talking about chicken. You know, he ate chicken. Somebody asked him, do you really eat chicken every day? And he goes, he goes, yeah. And he says, I tried, I tried some prime rib one day, I think. And he says, I went 0 for 4 and made two errors. And he says, that was the end of that. So (laughs) he went back to chicken. But you know, we all have little superstitions, you know, when we play, you know, I mean, I had a few myself and what uh, were yours? Oh man, you know, I always. I took a piece of uh, spearmint gum and I pinched it off at of the end and I always put it underneath my tongue because I didn't, I didn't chew tobacco back then. You know, that was a big thing. But um, I, I did that and I always jumped over the line with my right foot and I always turned a certain way, you know, on the diamond. So you have your, your little, you know, superstitions and things that you go through before you play.
1: You know, obviously, an event like this, people, you know, they pay money to get there. They wait. You know, they get excited about it. I imagine, uh, as great as the event is, probably the conversations around the event with you guys are probably where some of the real stuff comes out. You know, how much do you think you, how much admission do you think you could charge to just have uh, the guys in the green room chatting? <laughs> A lot, because that's where all
2: <laughs> the action's at. You know, when you're back there eating and, you know, Goose is, you know, was my roommate and we've known each other forever. And then he starts in and starts, you know, raising and Raven, you know, and somebody asked him about a, you know, a pitch count. And he says, pitch count. He says, he says, we didn't have any pitch counts back then. They told me to go out, get on the mound. And when it got tired, they'd come get me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, it was it was stories like that you know and uh but you know those guys were just awesome and you know and i think the fans really enjoyed it and you know maybe they'll do it again somewhere
3: sounds great i, I if they do hopefully we'll we'll be able to be there and the world will be in a little bit more settled place at that point
1: we sure hope so we sure hope so we really do so th- this has been episode two obviously you know as i've said i can't wait to you know, start spreading our wings a little bit here, getting some guests involved. You know, Not to repeat myself, but we had, we had hopes for this week and just, you know, the world uh, has other things happening right now. This has been a lot of fun. I really love where we're at. Two episodes in. I cannot wait to see where things go from here. If you're interested in listening to anything from the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network, please go to yankees.com slash podcast. You can follow Yankees Magazine on Twitter at Yanks Magazine and call 800-GO-YANKS or go to yankees.com slash publications to subscribe or buy any issues. Bucky, this was fun. Two down, lots more to go. Hope you have a great day. Stay safe, wash those hands, and can't wait to see you in person soon. You too, guys. Looking forward to the next one. Same here. Thank you. We'll speak to you. Have a good one, everyone.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.